On today's episode, Alan and I answer your questions. Sit back and enjoy this mailbag episode that has valuable information for all our hunting ops segments. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Wade. I'm the Coonhound Program Manager here at UKC, and I'm joined today by Alan Gingrich, the Director of Hunting Ops. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's been a good Christmas season. It's been cold. It's been very cold. <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think of these temperatures? Well, I was not used to them still. I, I did a lot of sitting around in the house this past week while we were out for, for Christmas and all that stuff. Yeah, we had about three or four days where it's probably been as cold or probably colder than you've seen here in your two or three years here. Yeah, I would say so. Just consistently cold. And uh, during those times, especially for anybody listening to this podcast, they know how important it is to make sure that your dogs are are well taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's for sure. I did a bunch out in my kennel. I I have mine on the right side, on the southeast side of my building. Yep. You know, a little uh, overhead like that. But I still uh, got some uh, tarps to just uh, wrap around there, keep the wind off of them. You know. Yep. Need a good dry place, but that's always kind of fun to work with the dogs a little bit when you got cold weather coming in and. Yeah. And have heated water bowls. They got all that stuff set up, so they're probably doing better than I am. You go out there and they just poke their head out <laughs> of the do. out of the they do. like yeah. Uh, yeah. just they fill do. it up. I'll be out yeah. there in a little bit. But yeah. So did Brinley enjoy Christmas this year? Oh, she had a blast. Did she? she had a blast. Yeah. Yeah, I love this age right now. She's still at the age where she likes every present that she gets regardless. Yeah. So yeah. it's been super fun. Yeah, you know, I went to my youngest brother's house. He insisted I come over. The boys really wanted me to come over for Christmas and they had they got their Christmas stuff, but uh, I forgot how competitive shoots and ladders were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I'm talking about the oldest boys, like in first grade, and then there's uh, the youngest ones, maybe two, I guess. You know, and the middle one there. But uh, I'm telling you, the it was fun until the the middle one was beating us all. Get up there about the second to the to the top row or whatever in this. It shoots and ladders, and he gets the old shoot all the way down oh. to the bottom. Oh man, that was a terrible day. <laughs> Wanted to flip the board, didn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, but no, that's always fun. It's you know I haven't played that game since we were little kids, but yeah, that's amazing. They still have that game. Yeah, yeah, hard to beat it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. Hey, it it's, was, it's it was funny. It's been a it's been a good. Uh, Good holiday season. We got New Year's coming up. This will actually be our first podcast of the New Year. Sounds like so. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited to to have one today that we've we've kind of put out and been pushing the past couple of weeks. And that's a mailbag uh, a mailbag episode where we were wanting to uh, kind of hear from our all of our uh, you know our base out there of listeners. Uh, hear what questions they want answered on air. And I think we got a pretty good uh, selection of questions here. Yeah, good. I uh, I looked at some of these that you uh, 
uh, put down and noted several of them here that we're going to cover. So, yeah, there's some good ones here, I think. Yeah, and for anyone listening, it actually we're going to start out here with some general questions, but okay. uh, hang around. We actually have a, a few squirrel uh, hunting-specific questions. That'll be the first time we've really talked about our squirrel programs on this Perfect. on this good. show. Good, Got good. a few coonhound questions and a few beagle questions, so Perfect. a little bit for, for everybody on here. So. There we go. Let's, let's get with it. We'll get into it. All yeah. right. Our first question we got here is from Jim from Ohio. Yeah. And Jim asks, I am interested in opening a club that hasn't held events for a while. Reopening the club is what what he means here. He's reopening an old club that hasn't had events for a while and want to know what that procedure is to get that club opened again. Yeah, well, the short answer is very simple. It's very easy. Not a whole lot you need to do other than notifying us and either and just simply call the, 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 the office here in the hunting ops department and about any one of our uh, reps in the hunting ops department can help you, but uh, that's yeah. the short answer. I mean, it's pretty simple, actually. Yeah, there's a few, uh, I guess, uh, when you get into it, everyone is a little bit different, so it's hard to give just a, a straight, basic question, but it reaching is. out to us and getting an answer is the best way to do it. A lot of it has to do with how long a club's been inactive. You know, if you've been, if it has been a year or two since you since the club held events, it's not going to be much trouble at all. You're still going to have up to date conflict file. More than likely, just going to have to update some club officers and get the ball rolling that way. Yep, that's that's it. You know, and sometimes there's, uh, you know, some uh, the reason they're inactive maybe just uh, just did not have any more events. You know, or they may have also been. Uh, uh, a result of UKC not approving them for any more events, you know. So a, a club like that that has been inactivated because of that, you know, that we didn't approve them for any more events, that's a little different story. And sometimes we can look what that reasoning was. Oftentimes is they might not have uh, sent their reports in in a timely manner and got way behind in doing that, uh, laxy-daisy on that, or maybe uh, didn't pay their fees, Yeah, you know, so... And then, and then uh, we—it's not uncommon for us to get a question from a guy say, "Hey, we used to have events at this club uh, just a few years ago. Look back, and they haven't had an event since 1999." Yeah, and that's yep. a—that's an instance where it's just as easy for everybody to fill out a new club application. You can still reuse that name, but obviously, there's probably a lot of leadership changes within the club as far as officers go. The membership's going to look totally different. You may even have a new uh, location where you're holding your events. And definitely the conflict file is going to be very outdated. Yep. So that's when we exactly. would just redo that whole thing. Exactly. Yep. So they are fairly easy and we can get you we can get you squared away pretty quickly with just a phone call. We can look see what uh, uh, what the deal is and we can give you a, a good quick answer that way. Number two, you have one here from Bob from North Carolina. Can you use a picture of my scorecard or an event report for me to process a missing report? Yeah, that also a short answer for that is, unfortunately, no, we cannot. Uh, we don't accept any pictures of event reports, scorecards, even the new win receipts that we've been mailing out this year as an alternative to actually receiving the, the report from the host club. You know, every, every event has an official, whether it's a hunt director or a master hounds, a licensed official, but those reports and the results of the event must come from those officials in a signed report. They're the only ones that can change anything, you know, sure, uh, the the scorecard is something, but that's something that they go off of. Uh, we were not there at the event to confirm this. You know, the other part of it is that you might consider, not that we don't trust your word or anything like that, but that's not how we do business is I can all, you and I can fill out a scorecard too and take a picture of yeah. it and put up anything, you know, and that's, 
that's not going to suffice, you know. So it needs to come from whoever the event officials were. Yeah, I put taking a picture of the scorecard, the event report. That's great for tracking your wins, keeping track of sure. all your wins and passes that you've accrued. But those things can be easily manipulated too, and you got to think about mm-hmm. it from our perspective. And uh, and just just to give you guys a peace of mind, we we will try diligently to get in any missing reports that we have. We're always sending letters. Yeah. At a certain point, we'll end up start calling club members of the club. Uh, surrounding areas, yeah. field reps in the area, and we're going to do everything we can to get yeah. that in. And and the host club's going to be held accountable if they if they aren't able to get it in, and which I've, is uncommon. And I've found over the years uh, not being able to resolve something like that has been very, very far and few in between. You generally, by the time when you and I find out about a problem like that, it's after uh, our reps in our department have basically uh, uh, tried everything with no response. Then that's when it comes to us. And generally, when we that's when we start contacting presidents and other officials of the club, and and usually we can get it resolved. Yeah. Yeah. So on to the next question here. This one comes from Joe from Louisiana. And uh, simply it asks, how do we determine locations for our major events? Yeah, good question. You know, so there's events like the Winter Classic, our own events. I don't know if he's uh, he's talking, but he just, just says major events. So, you know, as far as our major events, UKC events like Winter Classic, Autumn Oaks, they kind of have a home that is set already in place. Uh, the one, the zones is one of our events. The World Zones moves around a little bit as do the finals, you know, so any club that's interested in hosting a zone or a world final somehow should uh, should let us know that they're interested and, and we can send them something kind of a criteria and what, what it is that we look for. Um, but, uh, yeah, some yeah. of those things we might look at are, what, you have a couple notes here, I think? Well, yeah, I think it's important to uh, see what it, where uh, taking the zones or the world finals into, into consideration, where have they been the last few years? Uh, obviously, those are events that we like to move around a little bit to make it accommodating for everybody. Look at the past, you know, five, six years, see where they've been and kind of go from there. That's a good jumping off point. Yep. Um, we like to gauge the strength of the host club. Yep. You know, putting on an event with 100 plus dogs each day can can be hard and tedious. And uh, you got to have a strong host club. If they're having trouble getting in paperwork and paying for events and keeping keeping uh, in good standing with UKC. Yeah. At the, at the local event level, they're probably not ready to host a major event yeah. on that scale. And really, you know, the the it, it's probably easy for clubs that have the help that can that that have all the help they need and have the places to hunt yep. and have the locations. You know, there's a lot of things you look at. Obviously, your participants, if it's a big major event, they need they need lodging. They want they want to have places to eat, things yep. like that. You know, so there's all a, a lot of different things you take into account. Right. You know, you don't want to have an event really. Nobody really wants to go to an event where they that evening they got to drive 30 miles to a hotel. Right. You know, uh, you, you look at things like that. So there's more than just the guide situation. But obviously you want to have safe places to hunt. And the point I'm trying to get at is these days, you know, we know that clubs are struggling more than they did 20, 30 years ago as far as help and membership. So but if you are a club that can handle a major event, it's probably easier today to uh, be considered for a major event than it used to be 20, 30 years ago when sure. you were competing with more other clubs to for an event like that. Absolutely. The list is a lot shorter now yeah. than it would have been uh, yeah. you know, 20 years ago even. And uh, we still have, thankfully, we still have a lot of clubs that can handle some pretty big events. Absolutely. And just some other things, if you're a club thinking and, and you're thinking about putting on a major event, uh, like you said, quality guides who can get you in safe woods and you can score coons is important. And you get 100 dogs in the woods to do that. Uh, what about judges? You know, if we if take the world finals down to Florida, 
are we, are we going to have to take 25 non-hunting judges with us? You know, having a, a strong base of judges in a, a an area where it's a short distance away is important and key for holding an event like that. Uh, what about a, ho- a facility in the, in the town? You know, do you have a fairgrounds? Do you have uh, buildings that ac- can accommodate a hundred dog show and a, you know a dinner and and all those sorts of things? Um, obviously, parking is a big issue. You know, we had to make uh, we had to we had to get some things changed for even the TOC finals to accommodate parking in the last year. Yeah, just just for instance, let's say plot days is usually in the middle of summer. Yeah, you know uh, that's another one. You know, m- major events. We're not just talking about. Uh, uh, world finals or zones and things like that. There's other events, you know, that state events, state yeah. hunts, state championships, uh, breed association events. And I go back to plot days, you know, is in the middle of summer, you want to put on plot days. Well, in, in uh, July and August, you really want to have a shady place, a place right. where there's enough shade, you know, because um, I, today we might not think about it as much here in January, but right. you know, come July and August, uh, people don't want to just leave there and shouldn't have to leave their dogs just out in their boxes or under their trucks, you know, uh, shady places to have it. And just a lot of things like that you look at. Yeah. Might be different. You might need more shade for an event in July and August than you will obviously in February or March. Yeah. And if you're with a host club and you're interested in trying to host some major events, uh, obviously if you're interested in something like the zones or the world finals or maybe a major beagle or or squirrel dog event, get in in touch with the hunting ops department. And we obviously have have an understanding or a list of clubs that are interested. You know, you can be put into that conversation um, but if you're interested in hosting something on the the breed association or the state association level, those those clubs govern themselves and they uh, place their own events. So be sure to get in touch with them. They usually have a bid process to get those uh, sure. get the ball rolling on those things. Sure. And if and if clubs don't have a contact, they can always contact our department. We'll get them a contact for who to who to talk about something like that. Next question you have here is how do you select judges for major events? And I'm assuming this is bench show judges. Or yeah, that's okay. right. Yep. That's right. And uh, I, I, that's something that I've uh, kind of knew to, I guess, in the past few years. I've worked closely with you on determining bench show judges. And I, I just wrote down a couple of different things that came to mind when I was thinking of it. Both of us are at a lot of major events of the year. We kind of keep our finger on the pulse, I say, of the of the competition community. And one important thing that I always like to think about is, is kind of who's competing hard at this time. Maybe they have a dog that's coming into their prime and they're hitting every major event there is around. And maybe who's in between a top level dog. Maybe they have one that's a little bit older now and their younger dogs aren't quite ready to compete on the, on the major event scene. Maybe that's something that we take into consideration. Um, obviously, we, we want to keep our eye out for new capable judges. I think this year at Winter Classic, we, we, we got a couple of young judges that uh, were that, on the big stage for the first time. And that they was in the out. back of my mind, too. Yeah. 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 And, and then the, just and a good just to add to that, you yeah. know, is uh, – yeah, that whole group, you know, all three of them were maybe a little bit younger than you might see some of the, us, especially for all of them, you know, but uh, they did a wonderful job. We got right. a lot of good uh, reports on on the job that they did do. So just because sometimes you have younger judges, um, they may not have done a whole lot, but don't uh, we don't shy away from somebody just because uh, they're still young, because some of these younger folks have done a whole lot of homework and are very capable of it as well. And yeah. that was proof at our Winter Classic this last year, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing I put on here as a note is kind of keeping, we keep in mind where the event's located. We may look in a, a surrounding area. We're not going to try to get somebody from, oftentimes not try to get somebody from New York down to Mississippi. We're going to mm-hmm. look at the surrounding states and yeah. try to find somebody regional. Right. Maybe something we're taking into consideration. Right. So. I don't know. I always think for our events, you know, uh, we don't select the judges for the, say, the Grand American or Walker Days or anything. They do all that. We right. just do for our own events. Um, 
but uh, I think it's for us, uh, Winter Classic is always a good springboard or a starting event for us to try somebody, you know, in other words, somebody newer or newer that hasn't judged many major events or big major events, we probably wouldn't throw them into the world championship ring right. or, or maybe even Autumn Oaks, you know, sometimes. So the Winter Classic for us is always a good uh, a good first one for to try some different judges. Yeah, I know that that's uh, something you always keep in mind, and I've kind of gotten that same thing from you. Is that it's kind of a start start here, and then yeah. then yep. you can work your way up if yep, you do for sure. Yeah, so it has worked quite well actually. All right, the next one here is a question, a good one to cover here. This is from Courtney in New York, so we appreciate that, Courtney. It says, "I showed my dog while still while uh, the dog was still on puppy papers. The dog's now permanently registered, but the wins aren't showing on the dog's record. What do I need to do?" Ah, I like this question here because we do get this one quite a bit, and we co we have covered it a lot, talked about it a lot, and I think it was in 2015 when we first allowed somebody to enter a dog while it was still on puppy papers, and that's when the thing. Uh, the conditional entry came into fruition at that time. Right. So, and at the time when we uh, permitted that or, or introduced the conditional entry, and a conditional entry is really quickly, is when you don't have your easy entry card or your dog's registration certificate to show at the to show the entry taker. So, if you don't have that in the old days, if you didn't have that, you were go home. Yep. You could not enter. You could not play. Uh, so enter the conditional entry. If you didn't have that, yes, it came with a, a, a fee of $5 in addition to the entry fee, but at least you got to participate, you know, so uh, although there was a fee with it and, and there's good reason for that, it's not about the money, but it, we really need your accurate information. With a conditional entry, all you need to do is, is give the entry takers as much accurate information as you can. And you, that can be basically... Uh, no more, no less than that. And don't take it, don't think too deep into that. There's no requirements other than giving them as much information as possible. By that, we mean, you know, instead of just Sonny, you know, give them Gingrich's Sonny owned by Alan Gingrich. Yeah. You know, give them as much information as possible. That's right. Do not guess at a UKC number. Leave that blank. Matter of fact, in that spot, they can just put down conditional, right it there, you know. Yeah. Uh, but with that, uh, came number two, and that is, well, what about a dog that's still on puppy papers? You know, because the whole idea is sometimes if, if you send your papers to UKC, uh, you just bought this dog, you send it in right away, you were, you were uh, 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 subjected to UKC processing your event work and getting it back to you before you could enter this dog. Well, this is just more of a friendlier approach, this conditional entry. And the same thing with, uh, uh, with puppy papers. Uh, get them mailed in, and you, yeah, you can do the same thing. You can still enter your dog, uh, and while you're waiting on puppy papers. But this is a great question, Courtney. And I'm glad she asked it because uh, yeah. I guess I'll let you go ahead. How did how Courtney's going to deal with it? Yeah. Uh, she's going to enter her dog in a couple of events, and then how does she get her points processed? Yeah, the most important thing is if you're if you're competing with a dog that isn't permanently registered, whether it be the dog's still on puppy papers or you're in the process of single registering your dog, which some of our listeners will probably be doing in the Beagle and Curfi stuff more commonly, uh, is to make sure you keep track of where any wins or passes you get or, or where you're getting those at. You need to keep track of where the club is and the date. That way, whenever you call in to get the points applied, which is what you're going to have to do, whenever you get in your uh, registration paperwork, now your dog's permanently registered, you have your UKC number handy, you have your list of where your wins have been, give the hunting ops department a call or email or whatever you want to do, and we can get those wins applied for you pretty easily if you have all the information there for us. Uh, it's a pretty, it's a very simple process if, yeah. if that's the case. Yeah, and that's basically what you're saying. You should wait, uh, Courtney should wait till she gets her 
as soon as she gets her certificate, her registration certificate from UKC, that's when she should contact us. That's right. right. And here's here's the thing. Uh, I think a lot of folks assume that in a case like this, we would make note of it or something to go back and watch when this dog gets uh, registered or what. We, right. we, we don't do that or we can't really do that. We're not set up to put a flag on it or anything like that to watch for that and then to go back to here or this, this or that. So we put that responsibility on the owner to keep record of when that is. And then we, when they call us, tell us those clubs and dates, that's when we go back to those uh, specific event reports and say, yep, we have them here. We'll get your wins on now. Yep, that's right. And the and it works it works well that way. And if that's the case and you're competing on puppy papers or your dog is, has to be single registered, the sooner you can do it, the better, because that's just yeah. uh, less headache for you down the road. Yep. Do not assume that UKC is going to put those wins on that you, after your dog has been registered without you telling us. You need to make that connection or that uh, uh, correspondence with UKC office and the hunting ops department. That's right. You want to ask me our question from William here? Yeah, William from Tennessee. How long does it take for wins to show up on a dog's record? Good question, William. Yeah, Lacey in our department works a lot of the chats, and this is probably one of our most common chats that she gets in. And it's a good question, but so much of it is dependent on the host club that's having the event and also the the mailing system at some point, how long it takes to get it in. So uh, once the event's over, the host club gets the report to us, and by the time it's here, we're usually caught up on processing reports. It doesn't take more than a day or two. Yep. That's and and that's really what it uh, what it boils down to. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, some clubs are really good at at they have an event on Saturday, and by the next Thursday we have their event reports. Yeah, and usually by Friday, the next Friday we have it done if we have it. You know, but then we'll have a we'll have a corresponding officer that stuck the report in his sun visor in his truck, <laughs> and no. uh, two months later it's like somebody starts calling him. You know, and and uh, so that's that's. All, all depends when we get the report, but generally within a day or two, the ladies in our department have them processed. Oh. And probably one last caveat to put there is that's assuming that there's no issues or problems on the report that was filled out. Uh, being information that we need on the report that we may not have when it's turned in could cause a that's could right. cause a, that's right an yep. issue getting for it sure. Done. So, all right, I guess it's time to talk some squirrel dogs. Yeah, um, okay, I got a couple okay. of questions here for you uh, regarding the, the squirrel dog segment of it. And the first one here says, uh, you know, we've been told that it's fairly easy to have our coon club set up to hold squirrel events and UKC would offer some discounted fees. Can you provide some more information on that? Yeah, we do. We call that a uh, bundle offering, a licensed bundle offering that we have. And that's for clubs. We kind of uh, introduced this several years ago already to coon clubs. And a lot of times the uh, coon clubs are the ones that are most conducive to having squirrel events. You a, lot know, of they, a, lot of, there. a lot of crossover there. Same type of woods will work for squirrel hunting. Uh, so we do offer any clubs like that, coon clubs that want to have squirrel events. Um, now, they would have to have, get a different ID number. It's very simple for them to set up. They don't just do it under their coon club ID. It's a little different one. It's a, a, a simple thing to do, get, uh, contact the United Kennel Club. But getting back here to the bundle stuff. So what this is, if you have a coon event or a, a coon hound event, uh, let's say on this coming Saturday, if you also have a uh, schedule a cur or a feist or a squirrel dog event, we would waive the license fees for, if you have a coon hound night hunt, we would waive your hunt license fees for the squirrel part of it. If you have a show on the coon hound show, we would also uh, waive the license fees for the squirrel show. So, um, uh, yeah, so um, 
and you get that for nothing. Now there's still the recording fees that come that are associated with it, but the fees on the front end, those license fees, we would waive. Yeah, honestly, if and, you have a good handful of dogs, that could be a, yeah. a good additional income for the club. Yeah, absolutely. And really, if you think about it, it costs them nothing. You know, so they cannot lose on it. As far as entry numbers go, they can't lose on it. Right. Uh, so are we ready for question two here? Yeah, let's uh, uh, just, uh, I just want to take it a little bit further. I made a couple notes here. I wanted okay. to make sure I, I, uh, I hit it. So just uh, if you schedule a night hunt, you would get with it. You could get, uh, we would waive your license fees for like a cur night hunt or a cur squirrel hunt or a feist squirrel hunt. And I say cur and or feist because those two are separate separate hunts they, they do don't not compete, compete they don't compete against each other and and the other one is let's say you have a uh or for squirrel or squirrel clubs that schedule a cur event uh we would waive their license fee if they put on a feist event in conjunction with be two separate events going on uh but at the same time yeah and uh and there again you, they can't they can't lose as far as monetary or uh, as far as losing money on it for that so yeah, or if they have a uh, hound show, like we said, uh, if they can uh, schedule a cur show, we would uh, waive that license fee. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, so uh, world hunts are obviously a big thing in the squirrel dog world. Uh, does yeah. UKC have any world hunts for squirrel dogs, and when or where are they held? Yeah, yeah, we have one for feist. We mentioned they don't compete together. They used to back in the day, but uh, for the last five, six years, that they, they've separated. So we have two separate world hunts: one for a Kerr World Championship, and the other for the uh, for the feist world. So the Kerr World Championship this year is going to be uh, at the Murray County Coon Hunters Club in yeah. Chatsworth, Georgia. Okay. So yeah, February twenty fifth and twenty sixth, and that's uh, those are all uh, full elimination events. So that's uh, Chatsworth, Georgia, February twenty fifth and twenty sixth, uh, and twenty three here. And then our Feist World Championship is going to be at yet another World or a Coonan Club, uh, Perry County Coon Hunters Club in Tell City, Indiana. And that's going to be March twenty fifth and twenty sixth for the Feist World. And uh, there's no qualification requirements. Uh, and uh, even dogs that aren't UKC registered, we're set up to single register them there at, at events at the, at the World Championship. And you can go to our website to get uh, under current feist events and programs to get more information. Yeah, those event ads are already out out they there are. with all the information that anybody would need on there. Yeah, and you can you can those uh, their event ads, everything's there on the website. Click on the one of those, and and you'll see all the details for it. Yeah, and I know uh, in some uh, on online and in some of the uh, publications that you'll see there's some other uh ukc programs for squirrel dogs that we have available. we do have we do have a dog of the year series for both cur and feist and there are two separate ones you know we have a, a feist dog of the year series and then also a cur dog of the year series and then we also have a, a third one and that is for uh, cur dogs uh, that compete in night hunts there's a separate uh, you know curs don't hunt with the hounds in the ukc there's a separate cur event and they're again going back to you know clubs having a night hunt it's they're not going to lose anything by scheduling a cur event on the same night. It's a separate hunt or what have you. But, yeah. Uh, so and it's all based on cast wins. We record the number of cast wins and and uh, and uh, that's how the dog of the year series is. And you can see the standings every monthly standings we publish in, in Full Cry magazine. And the, at the end of the year, it's it it's a series that runs throughout the calendar year. And the, at the end of the year, the top seven cast winners are invited to a national runoff. That happens at the World Hunt on Friday. So for curs, that's going to happen at uh, 
in Georgia this year at Chatsworth in February, and then for Feist in March at Tull City there. But on the Friday, the day before the World Championship, we had that national runoff for the top seven cast winners of Kurz and the top seven cast winners of Feist. And it's set up kind of neat to where the the dog with the most cast wins is going to get a bye in that first round. So the other six, and in Kurz and Feist, they only draw out in three dog casts. So that's why we take six. So in the first round, you'll have two casts, as six dogs, three, two three dog casts. Those cast, two cast winners then go up in the final cast against the top dog, so I to like speak. Yeah. And then those three will compete for the overall title for the Outstanding Dog of the Year. So, yeah, Dog of the Year series. A well-deserved buy for the top top performer of the year. Yeah, it gives them a carrot to kind of go get those most cast wins and, and he gets a buy in that first round of the national runoff. We'll be right back. Alan, we both had Daltra Pathfinder 2s now for a little while. What do you think about yours? I'm liking mine. One of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service, and I've used it there, and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly recommended by me as well. Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. All right, so we've talked a little bit about squirrel dogs and just some general questions, and we got coonhound questions coming up here in just uh, shortly, but we do we did get a couple Beagle program questions, so I think you're the man to ask for those here, so I'll just go ahead and ask you the first question I got here. It says, what's on tap for this for uh, this year for the Eliminators? Last year, UKC had a derby hunt on Friday. Is that scheduled again for this year, and if so, what are the requirements? Yeah, so we're, we're going to have the junior hunts again this year at the Eliminator, and those are going to take place on Friday. And uh, the first time we had that was this last, this, this year in 2022, uh, uh, where we had the junior, uh, also had a junior national championship that was held in conjunction with the Hunting Beagle Nationals. Um, the junior hunts at the Eliminators are a prep hunt, if you will, so to speak, for the national uh, championship. Uh, but going back to the Eliminators, we have two. There, our first major event for Beagles is the Eliminator East and West. So the East is obviously held in uh, in in the eastern part of the of the country, and the West is is out west. But they both happen on the same weekend, and and participants can choose which one they go to. Okay. So it used to be back in the day, it used to just be one, and it was always it was, for a long time was held in Southern Indiana, in a good central location. Uh, but that club kind of dissolved, and we had to move it further east. And then it just wasn't conducive for folks out in Missouri. You know, they had just a long, long, long drive. So we came up with the idea of having the east and west, and it's worked uh, quite well, actually. So that is the first major event uh, for Beagles, for UKC Beagles, and it, and it happens the middle of February. This year it's going to be February 18th and 19th. It is a full elimination event. The Eliminator East, again, is going to be held at the – South Harrison Beagle Club, or hosted by the South Harris Harrison Beagle Club in West Milford, West Virginia. And then uh, that's just, I'm going to say that's going to be uh, uh, about an hour and a half due south of the Pennsylvania line. Okay. Pretty much right. Yeah, right there in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, pretty much an hour and a half due south of there. West Milford, West Virginia. Then the Eliminator West is going to be held in Ava, Missouri, and hosted by the Douglas County Beagle Club this year. So that's actually a new location for this year in Missouri. Um, and it's the first of five annual majors that we have uh, in UKC. We call them the Big Five for our Beagle program. Starts with the Eliminator in February. 
in March, we have NHBA Days. That's the National Hunting Beagle Association, their annual uh, event. And then we have the Hunting Beagle Nationals and then the McVeigh Memorial in September, the weekend after Autumn Oaks. And then it uh, it's concludes with our World Championship. So those are the top, the big five. But uh, that start with our uh, uh, eliminator. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to have a junior hunt this year again. And, uh, and what are their requirements? So for juniors to be eligible for that, they must be, the dog must be born on or after May 1st of 2021. And those are the only dogs eligible for the derbies, or in our case, we call them juniors. Uh, single registered dogs must uh, show proof of UKC or AKC parentage uh, in order to be eligible for it. So in other words, we're not going to allow a dog that is meets the birth date standards without being able to show proof of parentage and accurate birth dates. And, you know, because we do single registered dogs that don't, re if they don't know what the lineage is, they just post nothing. So that's just to keep uh, the integrity sure. of it up. So uh, they are 90-minute hunts, and they do happen on Friday before the eliminator. So that, that would be Friday, February 17th. And it's what we call a semi-elimination event. It's There's one uh, one uh, hunt in the morning. I think the deadline is going to be 8 o'clock. And then they take the top four high-scoring dogs to go to a winner's pack in a round two. And then uh, that's how they determine their junior hunt winners at the eliminator. So then uh, uh, moving on to juniors at the Nationals, I mentioned that a little bit. Uh, they compete only against other juniors, uh, you know, of that age caliber. And UKC does issue a degree of junior national champion to the overall winner. And that's been a big, uh, was a big hit this last year. It was, sure. We had a lot more entries than I would have accepted or uh, expected. So that was good to see. And then there again, we do have uh, on, they can compete on Friday and or, or Friday yeah, at the Nationals. And then we take the four, uh, we have a four-dog winner's pack uh, that is happens on Sunday at the National to determine the overall winners. And again, that winner's pack is uh, comprised of uh, double-cast winners first, followed by single high scores for the uh, dogs that make it there. And then obviously uh, the dog that wins that on Sunday is our junior national champion. And it's a pretty big, nice prizes for yeah. it and everything. And just really... It really highlights some of the up-and-coming uh, young derbies that are coming along. So they get, instead of competing with other all-age dogs, they compete with the dogs in their same caliber. So it's been a big hit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. well, most of the, the calls that I've fielded uh, recently have been talking about either the tournament champions or the clash of champions. Yeah, and yeah, how many wins yeah. does my dog have this year? Yeah. Uh, this question here kind of follows that same thing. It asks about the dates for the clash of champions in 2023, uh, where the event's being held, and uh, talk about qualification qualification requirements and the payouts yeah well you could answer a lot of these same questions knowing how the tournament of champions works for coonhounds because a lot this is basically mirrored uh on that the money is not nearly the same you know but uh same uh, weekend and all huh? the regions for it is the same weekend as the coonhound one so it's april saturday april 1st yeah or the is the date for the regions okay you know and that's for dogs that are qualified locations are we have four different locations for it one is in huntington indiana that is um that is hosted by the Magenica Conservation Bio Club there in Huntington. Another one is in Waynesburg uh, uh, or Jefferson, Pennsylvania, hosted by the Waynesburg Bio Club, which is right there in the Waynesburg, PA area. Uh, we have one down south at the, in Mountain City, Tennessee, that is hosted by the Creston Bio Club. They're just right there on the Tennessee-North Carolina line. They're actually on the North Carolina side, the Creston Bio Club is, but they host the event at Mountain City there in Tennessee. 
And then out west, we have in Ava, Missouri, uh, the Douglas County Beagle Club. They host the one out there. So four different locations. And just like your Tournament of Champions, they, the participants, those that are qualified, they choose which one they want to go to. And they do that online just like we do for uh, uh, for coonhounds. And once uh, they'll get an invite, and all the dogs that have uh, qualified, and to qualify, they must have five cast wins in 2022 to qualify for uh, the regions. That's the first step for the Clash of Champions. And um, once uh, a, any dog that's qualified, they will get an invitation from United Kennel Club. Uh, and if uh, and those will be sent out probably around the 1st of February. And so they should expect them first, second week in February, those that have five cast wins. If they don't get one, they should contact us if they feel like they have five wins and didn't get an invite. Uh, but never, nevertheless, they enter online. And uh, and only those dogs that are qualified are will be able to submit an entry. Right. In other words, if they try to enter a dog that's not qualified, it's not going to go through. Uh, so then uh, the re in the regions, we advance uh, 32 dogs out of the regions to go to the Clash of Champions finals that is held on uh, the Thursday before the Hunting Beagle Championship in April. Okay. So, and there again, it's prorated. You know, a region that has more entries is also going to send more dogs, uh, you know, to the finals. And uh, the entry fee is uh, 50 bucks for it. But here's kind of a cool thing that we work with the NHBA on. If you are a member of the NHBA, National Hunting Beagle Association, uh, in 2022, if you were a member, that fee is slashed in half. Only cost you 25. Cannot, cannot beat this program here. Very affordable. Get your five cast wins and and enter the regions for it. The payouts for it um, is uh, it's a thirty five thousand dollar total purse uh, that we guarantee. Uh, Ten thousand goes to the overall winner. Second gets uh, five thousand. Third gets twenty five hundred. Fourth gets a thousand dollars or uh, fifteen hundred actually uh, for fourth. And then fifth through eighth, those four dogs they each get a thousand dollars out of that pot. And then ninth. Through 32nd, they all get uh, $500 each. So if you are one of the 32 to advance from the regions, you are in the money. That's not too bad there, yeah. is it? That's a yep. pretty good so deal. there's a clash of champions for Beagles. Absolutely. Well, we got a good handful of uh, coonhound questions here, too. We'll see how many we can get through here. Perfect. Um, yeah. I guess if you want to shoot a couple at me, we can yeah. see what we got. Yeah, the first one I have here on is from uh, Keith from Indiana. He asked this, not enough entries to split same owners. Can you make more casts than the cast breakdown sheet shows is necessary? Yeah, this is a this is a pretty simple question. Anybody who's been putting on events for a while probably knows right there in the paragraph preceding the official uh, night hunt honor, honor rules, uh, you're going to find a little sentence in there, and it simply reads, all casts must be drawn publicly. Owners having multiple entries will have dogs drawn to separate casts if possible. Key words here is if possible. That's right. And when it's not possible is when you don't have enough cast to do it. That's it's exactly that simple. right. Yep. Simple as that. You have to have, uh, you have to go by your cast breakdown sheet. You can't make additional cast just because there's multiple owners that would be hunting together. Let's take this one step further, Trevor, if you don't care. I know this is not on here, but let's say I have three dogs and there's only, um, let's say there's only six dogs that show up for, or uh, uh, less than eight dogs, less than two cast, no more, no more than eight dogs. And I have three. Yeah. I cannot put, obviously, two of my dogs are going to have to go in the same cast. There's no way around that, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, my next question is, can I decide which one of my two gets split up or how they go? 
nope, it's got to be a blind draw. Got to be a blind draw. You're exactly so right. You're at the mercy of the blind draw. I uh, can't fix the cast in any way. Yeah. And uh, and you wouldn't be able to make a third cast just to accommodate the multiple entries. Yeah, and we get that sometimes, you know, when somebody has that, you know, they you know, sometimes we get the argument, well, I should be able to decide who gets put with who. That, that, yeah. That's not true. Yeah, and it's important to note that we, we've dealt with stuff like this, and, and not only is the club going to get some reprimanding, but also those owners aren't going to get their wins. So make sure that you're keeping yeah. up with that because yeah. kind of stiff penalties there. Yeah, next question comes from Katie from Virginia. She asks, uh, for clubs that have docks in water races, hey, this is a good one, a water race question. Yeah. For clubs that have docks in water races, if the dog doesn't jump off the dock and goes in the water beside the dock, are they still eligible for points or are they disqualified? Yeah, I think the important thing here for us whenever we're uh, talking about water race, specifically uh, going into the water or not, uh, is is make sure that they're inside the bound the stakes that are determining the boundary of the event. Uh, if they're in, well, we'll say inbounds or out of bounds. If they're mm-hmm. inbounds, uh, then they would not be disqualified, even if they were to jump off onto the land first. Yeah, you know, and going off the side of the dock, if you can picture this, would be better. Maybe if we had something could uh, could draw up some pictures here a little bit. But just because a dog goes off the right or left hand side of the dock instead of the front of the dock. Uh, that's most docks aren't going to be that wide. Your boundaries should be wider than that, obviously. So just because they go off, so long as they're in bounds, they're fine. You know, but, you know, a dog that's going to go off to the side versus jumping off the front, if I'm competing, if that dog is competing with another dog, yeah. he's going to have a lot, a lot of ground to make up. a big disadvantage. Yeah, really. a huge disadvantage. Yeah. You know, so for me, if I'm water racing my dogs, you know, that's, I'd want my dogs to make sure they kind of train them to get to jumping off the top because if they're going to be a little shy of that or what have you, then uh, uh, I'm not going to win many water races if I'm in competition uh, with a dog that's going to want to jump off the side instead of the front. Yeah, and I think think where some of the uh, maybe the – uh, confusion may come from is in rule 13 under the water races in the running rules. Uh, it talks about dogs being disqualified um, if they were to uh, uh, have an unfair advantage due to the lack of the depth of water and not swimming. Mm-hmm. But I think in this situation, and that's a judge's decision, uh-huh. but I think in this in this case, the judge is going to determine that a dog that is going to the side and not going directly in the straight path line of water is not going to be an advantage at all. In fact, it's a, it's a disadvantage. Disadvantage, the dog. right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and obviously, uh, we see a lot of different docks and setups over the years, and and we're uh, we know that a lot of the docks look good a lot of times a year, but there's things that can cause that water levels to fluctuate. If there's severe droughts, maybe sometimes they're even flooded, that can cause issues in the water race. So uh, we're not uh, we're not ignorant to that fact, and we we realize that. And, and clubs putting on those just have to do the best they can with yeah. the, the resources they have, especially if they have a fixed dock that you yeah. can't move around. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's a good question from Katie there. We don't get very many uh, water race questions. Yeah, here's a question that may be interesting for you and one that we don't have a good uh, question for, but J.D. submitted it. J.D. from Kentucky did submit it, so we'll give him some air time here. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, with there being more and more ways every year within the UKC to win money, have y'all considered adding money, one, to pedigrees since becoming more and more relevant in the sport? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and ironically, it's something that you and I have have talked about, and we've uh, we've got it in our notes, and we've addressed it briefly with upper management. That's not an answer that you and I are going to be able to, uh, you know, give per yeah. se. But it's something we thought about, especially now with the TOC that we have, and and we're working on some other uh, some other items that are yeah. you know just like the super slams and. And to win money at the world finals. Yeah, those type of things where we do, uh, where we would, you and I like the idea of yeah. uh, 
for sure of uh recording those monies won on the dog so uh uh, we can't really give a good solid answer on that today, but yeah. I think we can say it's something that we're very interested in pursuing to do, and I think it uh, I think it would uh, serve us well, really, we with some of the programs that we have in place. So, and JD, that's a great yeah, that's a great question, JD, and hopefully you can have a little patience with us, and hopefully we'll have an answer to that here before too long. Yeah, yeah. So number four comes from West Virginia, Stephen from West Virginia. Uh, he asked this, would UKC consider appointing two judges, one, and I'm assuming this night hunts, yep, yep, uh, related to night hunts, one to keep score and one to keep time. You have more than one dog treat in two separate places. You have got to get two separate stopwatches going for the closing on the tree. It's tough on one person. Yeah, uh, Stephen, the, the way the rules are set up right now, there's not an option for two judges. And honestly, I think when you really think about it, that could be way more complicated than you're thinking. Uh, having one individual in there to make choices a lot easier than two people where they could have different opinions on how to score something. And you're going to open up a can of worms there. But it is important to note that uh, there's already a place in the rule book where uh, you may get some help or relief if uh, if you're having trouble doing these things as a judge. I think more so than running two stopwatches may be uh, listening for your dog and competing with your dog and also listening for people's calls and, and getting them transferred to the scorecard. And that's why in Rule 11A, you'll actually find a sentence in there where it kind of gives you the, the option for a non-hunting scorekeeper. It reads, scorecards to be carried by judge or non-hunting scorekeeper if all cast members agree and be scored within plain view of all. So maybe that's a, a good alternative for uh, someone struggling with that. Yeah, it is. And that scorekeeper could be, it could technically be another cast member or it could just be a spectator. Period. Doesn't really matter who to somebody that knows how to fill it out. You know, if if I'm the judge, I want to want to make sure I watch, make sure he's writing everything down correctly. But I can get that help. But yeah, I I agree with you. You know, it it would not work well to have multiple judges on the same cast like that. I think uh, I think it wouldn't take long if you just try it and you'd soon figure out why it wouldn't work. But you know, he mentions one thing about keeping time, how complicated or how hard that is, and I think that a lot of that comes with experience, right? You know, and even more so today when we have dogs split up, it, you know, it's more to keep up with. But you brought in that note-keeping space on the on the scorecard. I always use that a lot, more than you think. And for me, I'm using the same stopwatch. It's not a problem at all. You know, if I have the first dog declared treed, uh, instead of instead of me carrying multiple stopwatches or something, when, when the second dog is declared treed, I'll look at how much time has passed on my clock, and I'll write that down in the notes. You know, it's, so it's, let's say... A minute 30 is gone on the first dog's tree. I'm, I write down a minute 30. That means for this second dog that's declared treed, I need to go four minutes and 30 seconds yep. before his time is up. It's a really yeah. good alternative than yeah. trying to shuffle between multiple Yeah, and if you watches. can keep that in mind, if you can, uh, you know, instead of, uh, that's much easier for me to do than trying to keep two, three, four stopwatches going. Absolutely. And it's, and, and I think really more than anything, I think experience, a little experience will eliminate those concerns probably more than... And you have uh, a lot of guys do carry a couple stopwatches, and that's okay. Just don't get them mixed up. You know? <laughs> that's right. But, that's uh, right. So th we would suggest that over. Um, I don't think uh, setting up with a couple judges per se, where they both have equal say. Just it might sound good in theory, but does not work. Yeah, non-hunting scorekeeper may be just the thing for you if yep. you're having trouble yep. doing that. So, yep. good question though. Number five comes from your home state, Tennessee. Sam asks, if a dog, if a scratch dog and a dog that remains in the cast tree together, 
before the scratch dog can be handled, is that score is that a scorable, is a scorable tree or is it interference? Right. So you have one dog that was scratched, not yet handled, and you have another dog that's now declared treed and the scratch dog is with it. How do you handle that? Right. Yeah. And I noticed he said uh, interference in there. And that that's kind of a word that that I've learned to cringe at from from talking to you. One that uh, for years and years and years uh, in visor columns in different places, it's been uh, kind of debunked that interference isn't a thing that that we allude to at all in the rule book. You won't find it at all in the rule book pertaining to not hunt rules. Um, and in this in this situation in particular, I don't think there's much of a, of interference there. That tree, that dog, that tree's there is eligible for scoring. And further than that, it needs to be scored. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, it's important to get in there and, and get it scored. Uh, forget about interference and that type of thing. That's not something that you need to worry about at all in that situation. Yeah, I think maybe more times than not, it's situations where handlers might want to use it to their advantage one way or another. Sure. Versus, uh, uh, be it you know to take points away from a deserving dog or or vice versa. So. Yeah, no, you've, you've, you've got the right answer. A lot of times when I talk to people about interference, and it seems like it's a, quite a bit, we mm -hmm. get asked about interference and casts, and on, it just it it, break, it comes down to the brakes. You yep. have good brakes or bad brakes. Yep. If your dog gets hung up in a fence, it's a terrible brake, but that's not uh, interference on the fence, you know. Yeah. That's whenever people will try to manipulate things, you know, coyotes came into yeah. my dog or, yeah. you know, something happened to run my dog off a tree. He doesn't ever leave trees, so something must have happened. We should call interference yeah. and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's not a, not a catch-all term. It's it's a non-existent term in our rule book and something that we we don't refer to. Right. right. There's there's times when the situations where the rules allow you to call time out, you know. But uh, and those are outlined in Rule Seven, and those are we've talked about that uh, quite a bit in this yeah. podcast. Next one comes from Bobby from Illinois. He asks this: I have a dog that has bitten two different opposing handlers at the tree. They have tried to scratch me for it, but it is not in the rules. What is the official rule on it? Oh, Bobby. <laughs> uh, Bobby. Hey, at least he's admitting he has a dog that is. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's not good. I can tell you that. I don't think this answer is going to be very good here. But Yeah, we talked about it a little bit beforehand. He's right. There's no, there's no, uh, it doesn't allude to dogs actually uh, uh, biting or attacking handlers or spectators or judges at all in the scratchable offenses in the rule book. Yeah. Uh, it talks about scratching amongst dogs. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the first thing is, and there's a reason that it's not in the rule book, right? And you talked about that a little bit to me this morning. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and they're talk talking about how, uh, Any time that uh, you put something into that in like that into place, there can always be manipulations by people, and uh, we hate to think the worst of people, but it probably do, it would happen if if that were the case, and that became a scratchable offense. Yeah, we talk about pros and cons all the time, you know, and I think what we were talking about this morning a little bit on this topic when you when this question came up here, uh, but I think it would you would just open a can of worms that would be so it would be very difficult sometimes, you know, okay, because. Uh, how much do you, how much is it, what it, what is, where's that line at? Right. You know, how much, what is a, what is a bite or what, what's the line of, of, uh, you know, scratching or a penalty here? You know, do they need to draw blood? Does it need to tear garment? Does, remember this, uh, most of this stuff is happens at night, you know, and, yeah. and now are you going to deal with, with, you want to deal with handlers that use it as a tool, you know, a handling tool and things like that, you know? And I think when you really weigh out a lot of things like that, it doesn't take long to figure out that that's not a good thing. And, uh, you know, the way we say and have always said to handle, it is no different than you do if the neighbor's dog comes over into your yard and bites one of your kids or you. You handle it the same way. And really, if, if it's my dog and uh, uh, something Bobby might consider here, you know, if you have a dog that is 
is uh, temperamental towards humans, it's probably not a good thing because we would suggest if uh, I would be more concerned to somebody uh, taking it to civil, filing a civil suit against me, I'm more concerned about that than having a simple little write-up on my dog. You know, because that can go a lot further than that. And to, to really to answer his question, what somebody should do if they get bitten is to uh, file a claim or a suit against it. And then uh, the the courts will decide whether, you know, what to what degree and and assess whatever sanctions or what have you, you know. Yeah. But I don't I think uh, and I think we're best served to leave it at that, you know. So I think, again, I'm more concerned about the outcome of that than I am about getting my dog reported to UKC. And really, and again, scratch for fighting is for fighting with dogs in your cast and only those dogs that are in your cast, not against a coyote or the or the farm dog or something like that during a cast or, or biting a person. Right. Right. Okay. Moving right along here. Yeah. You got one here that says uh, everyone from everywhere asked oh, yeah. this question. So we this get, is not one that was in the mailbag, I take it. Well, this is just one that we get asked everywhere, every day. Uh, and I think it's going to be some good information. And we talked about, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, talking about the TOC here, the yeah. Tournament of Champions. Hey, you like, that's one of your favorite topics. So let me ask the question here if you don't care. I yes, haven't sir. received anything regarding my dog qualifying for the TOC. Can you check and make sure everything is okay? Yeah, so this is uh, something that we get pretty often, uh, everybody. Uh, I think there's uh, the uh, uh, it's going around there that you would get some sort of uh, paperwork or something telling you that you qualified as the year goes on, and that's not actually how we do it. Uh, we take the whole year, we got all the qualified dogs. We actually give ourselves the month of January to get in the rest of the, the reports from the end of December and such. And on February 1st and that first week of February, we're going to work on pushing out all of the information that you'll need uh as far as entering into the TOC goes. So you're going to get a certificate of achievement, uh, basically commemorating your win for qualifying for the 2023 Tournament of Champions. Uh, you're going to get an informational sheet that has uh, all the all the information you need. That's on our ad, but uh, it's just there for you. It gets mailed to your house so you can look it over. And it also tells you how to enter and uh, kind of a spoiler alert. I guess it's not a spoiler alert. It's going to be online entry only again this year. Uh, doing a way uh, we have never done paper entry for TOC. We're doing online entry only. And if you have trouble with that kind of stuff, you can always reach out to us and do it over the phone. But I think that's the most efficient way to do it on the turnaround time that we have. Yep. So the first part of February, you'll get that information. If you have any question, you can always call us. But the other thing to to make note of that would be good at this time, this would be there's not a better time to get it done ASAP before February comes around. If you have an address change, absolutely, make sure you get that updated with us so we do send that uh, information to the right place. First owner on file is where it's heading. Make sure that address is correct or you're not going to get that entry information. Yep, for sure. All right, that's the second good one. Second part of the question yeah, here, too. Yep. Uh, yeah, second part. It has a second part. On the online points check, it shows a total number of wins on my dog's record, but not how many I have this year. How can I check that? And that that comes up quite a bit, and that's a great question. Right? That is a good question. Yep. Right now, the way our online points check system works, uh, it does not have that capability. doesn't show the date. Yeah. shows the number of wins, just not the date. Right. And that's something that we've uh, talked to with our web designers, and then we're working on it. Uh, hopefully, we've got some new things coming in the next – in the next bit, I don't know a timeline on that, but that's something that we really want added in, and I think I think that they're uh, going to make it happen for us. So we're excited for that. Um, yeah, but, it's not it's not going to happen for this for this next one coming up, but hopefully by next year at this time we will for sure have that absolutely place where they can see how many for the current year absolutely. for this purpose. 
So, so for now, you're wondering if your dog's qualified. There's a couple different ways. Uh, the first thing, there's a, uh, a running list in the Coonhound Bloodlines publication every month. That's updated every month. You can always look there. Uh, probably more efficient than that would be online. Every other Tuesday, we do a we do an update with uh, with all the qualified dogs. And uh, and honestly, the best way to do it right now, if you're curious about how many dogs your a wins your dog has in 2022, is to get a hold of the hunting ops department either by phone, email, or chat. That's probably the most efficient way. That's it. And I'll just add to that when they go to our website, go to events and programs, and then you'll see logos. Just click onto that logo, and that'll take you to whether it's the world championship or in this case the tournament of champions. That's where you're going to find all that information. Uh, have we do we have time for another one? Yeah, I think one right. more. Okay, one more. Uh, number eight, uh, X-bred question. This is a good one. Jim from Indiana, can you show an X-bred coonhound? When he says show, he's talking about bench shows. I That's right. Assume. Uh, good question. Yeah, X-bred coonhounds are not eligible to participate in any UKC licensed bench shows. Um, first off, there's no breed standards for them. The judge has no way to kind of uh, stack them up against rightfully breed so because they're mixed up. Yeah, that's right. So. Um, and and uh, if anybody's looking for a clarification in the rule book, it'll tell you right there under the bench show rules. Number one, it says all UKC licensed coonhound bench shows must be open to all of the seven coonhound breeds, not the, not the seven breeds and one expert breed. So uh, that's the indicator there that only the seven uh, coonhound breeds are eligible for bench shows, not an expert coonhound. Yeah, and sometimes we get the argument or the debate. Well, they're coonhounds, you know how it's they they're all basically the same. Uh, you know what? Uh, some of the good show judges are going to quickly tell you no they're not yeah you know and if you really think about it I try to uh, throw this out there sometimes is okay let's say we did allow them to show and we would really because they're mixed up let's say they have a little bit of this breed and that breed and that da, 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 so that really opens it up you know you just use anything and everything or whatever but now you have a uh, a purebred or let's say a true train walker or whatever that is being judged against this specific strict breed standard and then you have an, an X-bred that you're just judging. It's just kind of wide open. Uh, that's not really a good level playing field when one, one is the, the true breed is getting judged. Right. A lot more a lot leeway of, over yeah. here whenever you're talking yeah. about there's no preferred yeah. size or coloration yeah. and all kinds so of we've different all, That's the reason we've always allowed them to uh, earn performance titles, but just not show titles. Yeah. And hey, we uh, that's kind of the end for our questions today. We sure appreciate everybody sending in their, their questions for the mailbag. Uh, we probably start answering more questions. Often if people have questions, feel free to reach out. We'll have uh, links and different email addresses for you to get in touch with us and get out uh, any questions you may have for us that we can answer right here on air. Thanks for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC Hunting Ops on Facebook and Instagram.